Uh, but we, that's the problem that we have with the futurists, um, like the argument that he's talking about that I've made from Daniel 7, Daniel 12. And the heart of the argument is Jesus quotes those in Matthew 24 and in the portion that futurists say applies to the destruction of Jerusalem. He applied those there to be fulfilled in his generation after the gospel had been preached in all the world. And, and they can't answer it because the heart of the argument is I don't have to interpret anything. Nothing. Daniel said that, and then he said that. Jesus quotes those. Jesus said, now you need to deal with it. You've got to deal with what Jesus said. And I've had this argument out for 15, 16, 17 months now. Not one futurist. Well, I'll take it back. There's been one. And if I remember right, the gentleman's name is Eric Stevens. And that was the best discussion I've ever had with anybody, any futurist, in this entire length of time. And for whatever reason, I don't know, but he has abandoned the discussion. He, he made the fatal admission of saying, I believe all of Daniel's been fulfilled. Okay? You're fulfilled. You're preterist. You cannot make that kind of admission and hang on to futurism. Because Jesus quotes Daniel 7, which is the only prophecy, only, the only prophecy of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with the angels for the opening of the book's judgment. And it would consummate, those visions uh, consummate in the establishment of the everlasting kingdom. Daniel 7 is all you need. But anyway, I was born and raised, and I'm on the wrong spot here. I was born and raised in the Church of Christ, a traditional, very conservative, more conservative, <laughs> very conservative Church of Christ. So I was brought up in the traditional futurist uh, eschatology. And after I was married and began, that's, I'd, I'd never heard the term preterist until after I was married. And I got to looking at, well, what, what are some of the different views on Revelation? And I found these, it's like three or four different views. Preterist was one. I didn't even know how to pronounce the word when I, when I seen it. It looked like preterist to me. But anyway, and the view that the preacher who I grew up under, who baptized me, was the popular view back in the 50s into the 60s, which was when he was coming up. So that hit me. Well, he just adopted the popular view. And that's when I started studying. Because Revelation, <laughs> it was Greek to me. Pardon the pun. It made no sense. Nothing in it made any sense whatsoever. Yeah, I parroted some of the things that were in it because it sounded good because that's what the preacher said. But it didn't make any sense. And then I was introduced to Foy Wallace. Foy Wallace, not right on everything, but he and Milton Terry taught me how to study the Bible. And you cannot study the New Testament separate and apart and without the Old Testament because the New Testament is the Old Testament come to fruition. The New Testament is Holy Spirit's quotation 
interpretation and application of His own words through the mouths of the Holy Prophets. Peter says that. So anyway, I had been following, and with Wallace and others, Revelation started making a lot of sense. But I still was on the, at the point here where chapters 20, 21, that was still on our future. This great white throne judgment and so forth. But then one day, this right here hit me like a ton of bricks. Verse 2, the bride of Christ. The new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. Wait a minute. The bride of Christ is the church. If this is not fulfilled, the church is not here. So this was my turning point. It wasn't the linchpin, or it wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back, as they say, but this was the turning point. So then when I saw this, the first heaven and the first earth passed and saw a new heaven and a new earth, there went Second Peter 3. Because it had to be talking about the same thing. There's not multiple sets of new heavens and new earth and new Jerusalems. So there went Second Peter 3. And then when I came to 1 Corinthians 15, that was the holdout. You see, I already had the concept of what Jesus says in Luke 21-22, These be the days of vengeance that all things that are written shall be fulfilled. He didn't say all things about the destruction of Jerusalem as Witsit likes to stick that qualifier in there. And I've done a video on that. He knows that. And I show how he changes the Word of God and, and not just him. It's nothing against him personally. That's a typical ploy distraction of the futurists. They have to insert their qualifier into that text to make it say something else. The context of the Olivet Discourse is the coming of the kingdom. So when they insert about the destruction of Jerusalem, then they falsify part of the context. But anyway, I understood that. I understood Matthew 25 was Matthew 24 is all one discourse. I understood that. So when I came to Revelation 5, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, 54, when Paul said that when this corruptible puts on incorruption, this mortal puts on immortality, then, there's your time word, shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. And that was one of those things that was written that Jesus said it would be fulfilled. Okay, that, that killed my eschatology right there. And from that point on, I've been sitting on my backside investing. Mark that word. I've been investing my almost all of my spare time in studying God's Word. And I have literally, as many of you have, invest thousands of hours every year studying the Word of God. And it's because of that that we start seeing these things, these connections. And I say this a lot in my Sunday morning lessons. Once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. And that's what I'm going to show you here. I'm not going to do but very little exegesis in this lesson. I'm going to show you a truckload of connections that you can take home with you. You can run the video back and you can look these things up. And you can study them 
in their, your own quiet time with a cup of coffee or whatever. So Revelation 21 begins with and. So it's connected with something. And's a conjunction, right? It's connected with something. Well, when you back up, and. <clears throat> so we back up to the previous chapter, and John has covered most of this pretty well already, so I'm not going to spend much time here. Because the point is, death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. But we notice, and, and here's something that you've got to keep in mind. You need to go and read, and again, invest. Invest your time. Read and study Isaiah 60 through 66. Because that's Revelation 21. But John says, The devil that deceived him was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, so we're familiar with Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25, 46. Those of you are showing up. So I couldn't make this any bigger. I can enlarge that. I can enlarge this. I can't make the pop-ups any larger than that. Sorry about that. So, familiar with that. When you go back to chapter 19, the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image, these were, uh, these both were cast alive. Isn't that interesting from what John has just pointed out? These were cast alive into the lake of fire. But anyway, again, there's a connection. Look at that. And again, another pattern that you can look at in studying these is... In Revelation 18, you have the destruction of the city. In Revelation 19, it's the time of the wedding. And in Revelation 20, you have the great judgment. In Revelation 21, you have the new heavens and new earth. And so you can go back, you see the same pattern in the Olivet Discourse. You have the destruction of the city, chapter 24. Chapter 25 is the time of the wedding. Then the judgment. You see, you see the patterns? And again, go back to Isaiah 60 through 66. You see these same patterns. Like the parable in Matthew 22. The king sent forth his armies, destroyed those murders, burned up their city. The wedding was ready. Alright, so day and night. Tormented day and night. And we see this language in chapter 14 and verse 10. Tormented with fire and brimstone. In the presence of the whole, that's kind of odd there if we try to put a literal thing on that. People in heaven, the torment's going to be in, in the presence. It doesn't make sense. But anyway, notice we have the same language. In Isaiah 34, hosts of the heavens shall be dissolved. Second Peter 3. The heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. Hebrews 1. And the host shall fall down, the leaf falls from the vine, as the falling fig from the fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon the people 3,000 years later. No, it will come down on Edom. And upon the people of my curse to judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood, is made fat with 
fatness and with the blood of the lambs and goats, fat of the kidneys, and so forth. All right, now, we keep going. For it is the day of the Lord. See that? It's the day of the Lord's vengeance. This was a day of the Lord judgment against Idumea. And the stream shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever from generation to generation. It shall lie waste. But yet when you keep on reading, there would be briars and brambles growing there, and there would be wild critters lodging there. This is Hebrew hyperbole. Okay? That's what we have to understand. This is not to be taken literally. Because the smoke and the fire is not still burning. Not that I know of. Oh, I've not been there. But that's not still burning. There, to me, this, this is an eternal, judicial sentence, event, however you want to say that. Okay? Isaiah 66. And this is in connection with and following the creation of new heavens and new earth. They shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched. Jesus quotes that verbatim, if you will, in Mark 9, which John quoted the parallel, I believe it was in Matthew. So if, if it's not literal in Isaiah 66, then why should it be uh, and I'm using the term literal, as in biological, physical, that type of thing, as opposed to spiritual. Okay, We see the same thing in Jude, Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities about them in like matter, gave themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Well, are the fires of Sodom and Gomorrah still burning? See, that's why I say I believe this is talking about a judicial sentence. Okay? It is eternal. They were destroyed. God put an exclamation point on that sin. That is His eternal judgment on it. It doesn't mean the fire is still burning. At least to my understanding. Alright, I saw a great white throne... And him that sat on it, folks, that's Daniel 7. Right there. And again, I can't take time to read all these because, like I said, I've got a truckload of Scriptures here. But this is Daniel 7, the judgment scene in Daniel's dream there. And Jesus appropriates that prophecy in Matthew 16, Mark 8 through 9, 1, and Luke 9. I choose Luke 9 for a reason. Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory. But now notice, he said, There's some of you standing here that will not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. When the Son, there's a time word again, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory. Well, that's. What Jesus said right here in Luke 9, that He told some of them they'd live to see this. So the Son of Man 
would come in His glory, all the holy angels, then He would sit upon the throne of His glory before Him be gathered all night. And you have the judgment scene there of Matthew chapter 25. And I had, uh, it's probably in another verse reference, but when you look at Luke 9, if you go back and look at Mark's record, <clears throat> we'll come across this verse a little bit later. But in Mark's record, he gives us a little tidbit that Jesus was talking to a multitude, not just His twelve. He was talking to the multitude of people and the twelve. And He said, Some of you standing here will not die till you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom, coming in His own glory. Bless you, Brother Trent. Good to see you, Brother. <clears throat> Thank the Lord. Okay, so we have, again, Daniel 7, 14, Daniel 7, 18, the saints will take... And again, this is why I say Daniel 7 has so much information in it. Because of the uniqueness of the prophecy, but it culminates in the establishment of the everlasting kingdom. Everybody, well, almost, there's a few oddballs, <laughs> uh, no, no disrespect intended, most people in the churches of Christ understand the kingdom began in the first century. They say Pentecost, but first century, at least they're close. The visions of Daniel, the dreams of Daniel culminate in the establishment of the everlasting kingdom, just like Daniel 2. And Daniel, <clears throat> Daniel explaining Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. <clears throat> so he says, And I beheld, and now this is in the explanation, uh, the, the angel is explaining to Daniel the dream. I beheld in the same horn, that's the little horn, that is what kills all the futurist objections. Right there. This is why it cannot be the ascension. That's the typical application the futurists go to and say, well, now Daniel, Jesus came up to the Father. The text doesn't say that. It says He came to the Father. There's no up in that verse. Just like there's no up in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, and 24 that He would deliver up the kingdom. That's not there. That's inserted because of presupposition by the translators. Be delivered. But the three and a half year war of the little horn waged against the saints would end. This continued until... The ancient of days came, judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So this war of the little horn, if Daniel 7 is the ascension, and the war of the little horn ends at the ascension, then that three and a half year war against the saints, and him wearing out the saints, had to be going on all during the time of Jesus' ministry. It didn't happen. And furthermore, again, Jesus quotes that in Matthew 24 and says it would be fulfilled after, after the gospel had been preached in all the world. The gospel had been preached in all the world at Pentecost or at the Ascension. So that rules out both of those objections or distractions. See, that's one of the questions that I asked Barry O'Dell. That was the stance he took. That's the ascension. So I asked him three questions about the little horn, and Jesus said that it would occur after 
the gospel had preached in all the world, how do you explain this? I got no more time for you, and he blocked me. Okay, I know I'm right then. Because if I was wrong, it'd be way too easy to refute. Again, Daniel 7 27, time of the kingdom. Daniel 2 44, same thing, time of the kingdom. And again, in looking at Daniel 2, you have to back up to verse, and I forget the verse, I didn't put the note in here, 30 something. The stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands would break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms together. Together. And see, that's one of the another one of those distractions. Well, now Rome didn't fall until 460 or 476 or whatever. That's irrelevant. Totally irrelevant. Because Daniel explained that dream to Nebuchadnezzar, and he said that it would break break in pieces and consume all of these kingdoms together. All right, Ezekiel 37. And again, invest the time to read Ezekiel 36 and 37. And then 38 and 39. The War of Gog and Magog. Because that's in the text right here of Revelation 20. And when that would end, then Satan would go out and deceive the nations and bring on the War of Gog and Magog and that's where we're at in our text here. The devil cast into the lake of fire, great white throne, judgment, which is Daniel 7, and so on. Again, I don't have time to look at all these passages. Uh, now this one, I think, is reversed on, on the cell phone footage. When Michael gets uh, the videos edited and uploaded, then you should be able to read uh, the text. So those who are watching the video in the future here, in the near future, uh, you can pause the video and look up all of these passages and look at these connections. A lot of them will be on further down the end of these texts anyway. All right, so the point I wanted to get to is uh, Revelation 21.1 begins with and, and so we back up to see what he's already said, what he just said, heaven and earth fled away. Here in verse 11. From whose face, who was sitting on the throne, from his face, the earth and heaven fled away. Well, that's what Jesus said would happen in his generation. In Matthew 24, 30 through 35, verse 35, which goes off the bottom of the screen up there. And he said, Very last say unto you, uh, said, Heaven and earth will pass away, my words shall not pass away. Again, that's what he said, Matthew 5, 17 and 18. And not one jot or tittle of the law would pass away until every jot and tittle of the law and the prophets was fulfilled. That's why Jesus could say, these be the days of vengeance that all things that are written will be fulfilled. And as Holger pointed out last night, this is one of these only texts where Jesus ties the coming of the kingdom to a specific timed event. When you see these things come to pass, know you that the kingdom of God is not and it has drawn near. And Revelation 1-7, 
which I've talked about, uh, Hogarth's talked about that. Uh, Behold, he comes with the clouds. Daniel 7. Every eye will see him. Zechariah 12.10. They which pierced him. That's Zechariah 12.10. Every eye will see him. And then this phrase, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail. We look at that in the New King James. And I'll go back and find my verse right here. Notice this. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. So when you compare that with Matthew 24, 30, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. It is verbatim. In the New King James Version's English, but it's verbatim in the Greek. Revelation 1, 7 is Matthew 24, 30. But Matthew 24, 30 is Daniel 7. That's why I say Daniel 7 is the heartbeat of fulfillment. That is the heartbeat of my argument that nobody will touch. And again, I mean, I've got an open challenge. Any preacher, any elder, any deacon in the churches of Christ within, you know, I won't say overseas because that's out of my grasp, but, but in the country, meet me face to face. In a public, and you already you have the advantage. You've already got my argument. I'm at a disadvantage, except I've got the truth. Okay, Hebrews one. Let's go back to the King James. That's that's what I'm stuck on. That's what I've memorized and all that. Um, so when we look at Hebrews one, heaven and earth fled away. Now, now Paul is saying here. Let's see if we stipulate that Paul wrote this, and I believe he did, but whatever. Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish. And see, I've known for a long time now, this is not talking about the passing away of the physical material cosmos. I got that. And actually, in studying, I see this inclusio. The entire book of Hebrews is an inclusio discussion. He opens here with the passing of the heavens and the earth. In chapter 12, he's still talking about the passing of the heavens and the earth. But it's the covenant. He is con- the entire book of Hebrews is a contrast to the covenants. And in Hebrews 12, he is talking about the Sinaitic covenant versus the new everlasting eternal covenant. That's the new heavens and the new earth that he was looking for. And we'll, we'll establish that more as we go on. But I've seen this here, but then I notice in my studies that he is quoting from Psalms 102. Of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, the heavens are the work of thy hands, they shall perish, thou shalt endure, all of them shall wax old like a garment, and as a vesture thou shalt fold them up, or excuse me, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. Thou art the same, thy years have no... So, you know, I'm looking at this of old, you have laid the foundation of the earth, and I'm stuck with, how can that not be the Genesis creation? The Genesis account. I can't get around that. And again, like John said, I'm looking forward to uh, J.L.'s <coughs> lecture. But then as I said, Hebrews 12... He is talking about, again, 
You have not come to the mount that we touched and so forth, but you have arrived at Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and we'll talk more about that when we get back into our text. Uh, and so, uh, Revelation 21, 1 through 5, okay, I'm going to cover that later. So, uh, so we come down to the bottom here. The sea gave up the dead that were in them, that was in it, death and Hades, delivered up the dead that were in them. They were judged, every man according to their works, and death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So again, John's covered that uh, pretty well. Again, I suggest that you go back and invest the time to read Isaiah 60, back get, chapter 59 too, all the way through chapter 66. And study these things in context here. Alright, so, Revelation 21 then begins with, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Alright, so again, the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. That's what we just looked at in chapter 20. And again, this is why I say that when I saw this, then 2 Peter 3 fell. Peter is looking for the new heavens and the new earth, which is what John sees coming down, right? Uh, we also see in chapter 2 that he said, For if God spared not the angels of sin, but cast them down to Tartarus, Tartaru, and delivered them in the change of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, the preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, Notice what was destroyed here. The world of the ungodly. It's the people. He destroyed the wicked people. Yellow topography might have been changed of the earth. But it was not destroyed. It, was not, it did not cease to exist. It was the, the wickedness that was eradicated. And of course, Peter is quoting from, uh, appropriating from the Song of Moses, Deuteronomy 32, A fire is kindled in my anger, shall burn to the lowest hill, shall consume the earth with their increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. And when I called the brethren at the Wilson Road uh, Church of Christ on the radio program, who are uh, jumping and willing and ready to answer any Bible question that comes their way, they refused to turn and read that verse right there online or on, air, on the air. Absolutely refused. And when I got tickled and laughed just a little bit, he said, oh, these are not serious. Just cut him out. And they cut me off. Hung up on me. And they went off the air with Brother Ozan saying... These people, and I was the one that called, these people are some of the most wicked people on earth, on the planet. You think about that. I asked him to read a verse, and they wouldn't do it. Now, they did make the smart move to back up and edit that comment out. They put some music over it. Because that's public slander. Again, Deuteronomy 32, 32-35. Holger mentioned this, I believe, last night. Their vine will be the vine of Sodom. Fields of Gomorrah. Babylon will be spiritually called Sodom. And Egypt. 
But notice that he says here, is this not laid up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? You see that? Well, that's what Peter is saying. And I don't have the verse there. Verse, uh, yes, verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire. Against the, you see, you see the, and Peter said clearly at the beginning of this chapter, I am reminding you of the words spoken before by the holy prophets. And here he is quoting from the Song of Moses that even in the futurist camp is Old Testament. They try to dichotomize between uh, the law of Moses versus the prophets versus the Psalms. They try to give them some wiggle room to get out of there somehow. Peter is quoting from the law of Moses. Song of Moses. All right, Isaiah 24. It shall come to pass that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit, and he that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare. For the windows from on high are open, and the foundations of the earth do shake. The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean, dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage. Transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it and shall fall and shall not rise again. It will not rise again. And we'll come across chapter 25 here somewhere in all these notes where John already quoted the verse. Verse 2, the temple, it would never be rebuilt. And so again then, we have this inclusio of Hebrews 1 that we've already talked about quoted from Psalms 102 that, again, I can't see how we can get around that not referring to the Genesis account. And then we have Jeremiah 4.23 and I'm going to leave that to OJF. But here's the connection. So take that home with you and study. Alright? And he says, now notice this, in the Hebrews passage of uh, referring to here, he said, As a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. Okay? We see when we come, and again, I said, as I said, Hebrews is a contrast to the covenants. Well, Paul is contrasting the covenants in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The ministration of death written in graven stone versus the ministration of the Spirit that gives life. That's the two covenants. Again, invest the time to study that. Study the Greek. Look at all the present tense verbs that Paul uses in that text. But when you come down to uh, verse 18, he says, But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 13, are changed into the same image, and that is in the present tense. Are be, we are being when Paul wrote these words, we are being changed into the same image from glory, that's the glory of the old, to glory, to the glory of the new. 
Again, study that text. And this is what I just referred to here. uh, 1 Corinthians 15. But he says here, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is some. Alright, again, you've got to look at the Greek. The tenses of the words, because again, 1 Corinthians 15 is saturated with present tense verbs. This is present tense. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is being sown in corruption. It is being raised in incorruption. It is being sown in dishonor. It is being raised in glory. That's what he says in chapter 3 of the next letter. It is being sown in weakness. It is being raised in power. It is being sown a natural body. It is being raised a spiritual body. You see, here's the problem for the futurist paradigm. If Paul is discussing a corpse out of casket type resurrection, when you look at this present tense language, then there had to be corpses coming out of the caskets at that time. Nobody makes that argument that I know of. It doesn't work. If it, if it would work, then Hymenaeus and Philetus was right. Saying, well, the resurrections are, or at least it's in progress. And they see the corpses coming out of the dirt. That wasn't what he said. It, as John said, it was in process. It was in progress. They were awaiting the consummation, the fulfillment of all things. So again, Matthew 23, 25, excuse me, 35. Jesus told the Pharisees and the scribes and the Pharisees, the hypocrites, the brood of vipers, upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel. So there again, we have this covenantal judgmental language going all the way back to the beginning. See, Adam and Eve partook of the, the, the sinful fruit Cain partook of the sinful fruit and slew his righteous brother Abel. And the judgment from the beginning till now, Jesus now, and up to AD 70, when all things will be fulfilled, that was going to come down on his on that generation. And so again, Hebrews, you have this inclusio from Hebrews 1 to Hebrews 12. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. It's the same word that's used in the verses prior. He's going to shake heaven and earth. He's going to be shaken yet once more. So they could receive a kingdom that could not be shaken. Contrast to the covenants. The first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Okay, we've already looked at Matthew 5, Matthew 24. Peter said the end of all things is at hand. Be sober. He didn't say now, you know, I don't know when, 2,000 years in the future, 10,000. No. He said the end of all things is at hand. The time for the judgment has come. Verse 17. God is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 5. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, that this world, the fashion of this world is passing away. 
Again, you've got to look at the language. And then John wrote, the world is passing away. Present tense. You've got to notice the language. Alright, so, Isaiah 65, 17 through 19 in particular, but again, in reading 59 through 66, you're going to notice a lot of connections because there's much uh, intermingling uh, citations made by the Apostle, Apostle Paul uh, particularly, that he will quote from these texts and apply them during his ministry. That's the case with the first two or three verses of chapter 65. Paul quotes that in Romans, I think it's chapter 10. But he quotes that and applies that to Israel of his day. But Isaiah foretold that at the time that Judah would be slain, he said, I will create new heavens and a new earth, and the former, that would be the former heavens and earth, shall not be remembered nor come into mind. And this will be the creation of the new Jerusalem. Verse 18. It would be the time when the voice of crying would be and weeping would be wiped away. Which is what we see in verse 4 of our text. And there was no more sea. And I, again, I am anxious to hear uh, what uh, Jeff has to say along this line. The way I understand this right now is when John says there was no more sea, that's because the sea gave up the dead in the previous chapter. The sea gave up the dead that were in it because Isaiah foretold the salvation of the Gentiles, right? In verses 3 and 4, the Gentiles will come to thy light, kings to the brightness of thy rising, lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Which, by the way, Isaiah says the same thing in chapter 66 that you see on the screen. We see when we continue reading Isaiah 60, verse 5, Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. So there is the foretelling, the prediction of the salvation of the Gentiles. So that's why I believe the sea gave up the dead that were in it. They were all judged. Again, when we continue reading in Isaiah 60, now this is interesting. And the sons of the strangers shall build up thy walls. Their kings shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor have I, have I had mercy on thee. Therefore thy gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and their kings may be brought. And that is exactly what we see John saying right here in verse 25, 24, the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, the kings of the earth to bring their glory and honor into it. Isaiah saying, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. You see why I say Isaiah 60 through 66 is Revelation 21? 
And then we have another connection here. The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet. Well, that's what John said of Jesus, what John recorded right there in Revelation 3 9. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved you. All right, so again, let's go on. Verse 2, John says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God. And the word down is there in that text. Coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Again, that was the turning point for me right there. Okay, so he says, I saw the New Jerusalem, and we've looked at Isaiah, all those passages there. Um, but just uh, notice that in Isaiah 66, let's look at verse 14, and you look at that text right there. This is going to be the day of the Lord coming in flaming fire. Alright, that's what the text says here. Verse 15, verse 16, the day of the Lord that will come in flaming fire. But in verse 15, he says, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with His chariots like a whirlwind to render His anger with fury and His rebuke with flames of fire, which Paul quotes verbatim. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the day of the Lord, coming in flaming fire, we descend out of heaven, flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel, who would be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord from glorious power. Again, Paul quotes in flaming fire here, he quotes that verbatim in the Septuagint from Isaiah 66. But he says they will be punished with everlasting destruction. Notice, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, which again, he is quoting verbatim from Isaiah chapter 2. Verses 10, 19, and 21. Same phrase. That they would go into the clefts of the rock, in the tops of the ragged rocks, for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of His majesty. Paul quotes that text verbatim in the same passage there in 2 Thessalonians 1. But Isaiah 2 would be the last days of Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah 2 verse 1. This will be a last day's day of the Lord judgment against Judah, Old Covenant Israel. And we have the coming of the kingdom, verse 2. We have the judgment of the nations, verse 4. This is the day of the Lord reckoning, verse 12. And it would be the vindication of the martyrs, chapter 4 and verse 4. And then it would be uh, well, Revelation 6 9, we're familiar with that. The souls are under the altar. It would be the vindication of the, of the martyrs. And that's what we see in the previous chapter here. They were elevated to thrones. But it would be the time when the vineyard would be given over to the good vine growers. Chapter 5, 1 through 7. And then compare that with the parable in Matthew 21, 33 through 46. Yeah, okay, 30. 
I went too far, I guess, 33. So we go down through. Uh, he's talking about the husbandmen here. Uh, and they seized the son because they thought they would, would capture the inheritance. They killed him. Jesus said, you know, now what, what's going to happen? And uh, they, they rightly said, well, now he's, he'll slaughter him. <laughs> Uh, and then Jesus makes an application here about the stone that the builders rejected. And they tried to kill him. But again, compare those things. Now, <clears throat> so we go back to our verse. Now, he sees the new Jerusalem, the holy city, coming down from God out of heaven. Well, again, Paul's allegory in, in Galatians 4 where he is specifically, emphatically contrasting the covenants. These are the two covenants, he says. Hagar, Ishmael, Sarah, Isaac. These are the two covenants. I mean, you you can't be any plainer than that. And he says that this Hagar answers to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage. There's your Egypt connection. And is in bondage with her children but the Jerusalem which is above. You see, what Paul said was above, again, this is covenantal language, he's contrasting the two covenants. The Jerusalem that is above, John saw it coming down. Now again, here's the insurmountable problem for the futurists. If this is an end of time scene, and kaboom, it's all gone like Marvin the Martian. Where's that earth-shattering kaboom? Kaboom, it's all gone. Then where does this new Jerusalem come down to? And why would he say the gates of the city would never be closed? And why does he say that on the outside are all these sinful people that can't come in? I mean, there's, there's just no aspect of futurism that fits the language. So again, he said, what says the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Now, I want you to notice this. Again, I want to skip a bunch here. I, John, saw the holy city. Notice that. The holy city, New Jerusalem. Okay, so the New Jerusalem is the holy city. The holy city is New Jerusalem. Okay? So when we come to Hebrews 12 again, we have, you are coming to Mount Zion to the city of God. That's what Abraham was looking for, chapter 11. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You see that? So you have the holy city, you have the new Jerusalem, you have the heavenly Jerusalem, But then, if we drop down and look at verse 10, the angel is explaining to John what the bride is. The bride, the Lamb's wife, carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain. He showed me that great city, same great city that he just mentioned, the holy Jerusalem. So it's the holy city, New Jerusalem. It's the great city, holy Jerusalem. So again... You can't get around these contextual connections of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And Paul said it was the church. Hebrews 12. The church of the firstborn. 
I mean, that's, that's as plain as the nose on my face. I get accused of the running nose here. But it came down from God out of heaven. And remember that Jesus said the kingdom does not come with observation. And that's, that is the heartbeat of futurism. Everything that they envision in the Scriptures and that paradigm is something to be seen with the eye. That's why everybody says it hasn't happened yet. And uh, Danny Douglas, I commented on, uh, I posted a comment on one of Steve's videos. And he came on there and said, I didn't see Jesus return in the first century. I mean, I just, I, I didn't dumbfounded. know it was that old. I, I, I was, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was just dumbfounded at the unintelligence of that comment. But that, that's, that just goes back. That supports what I'm saying. They are anticipating <clears throat> a visible event of Jesus in some kind of a visible body coming through the sky that every eye on the planet, <clears throat> whatever, will see Him. Jesus said the kingdom comes without observation. And the only coming of the Son of Man in the Scriptures was going to be His coming in His kingdom. Matthew 16, and again, here's an inclusio, Matthew, and a lot of times we miss this. Matthew 16, 18. Church of Christ preachers, we've wore that out. Verses 18 and 19. I say also unto thee, direct Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. He's talking about the coming of the kingdom. The chapter ends with the coming of the kingdom. The coming of the Son of Man in the kingdom. It's all talking about the same thing. The coming of the kingdom. There's your inclusio. Right. You have no idea how much time I've got left. Uh, let's see. Again, you can pause the video. You can look all these passages up because, again, I've got a truckload. I've been working on this even though I'm wholly unprepared. I've been working on this in between selling ammo. <laughs> uh, I'll work on it a little bit. But anyway. Uh, and, but these are just the connections I see. Not all of them, but this is a bunch of them. And he that sat upon the... Oh, wait a minute, we've got to get verse 4. We've got to get verse 3. The tabernacle of God is with men. That's the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37. But Ezekiel 37 is the establishment of the everlasting covenant, the everlasting kingdom. But Ezekiel 37 is the resurrection. The resurrection was the reuniting of both houses of Israel into one, one body, one kingdom. And they would have one king over them. That's what the text says. Remember what Jesus said in John 10, I think it's verse 16. I'll be the shepherd unto you. That's what Ezekiel foretold. Um, and so we have, yeah, I have all these connections here of the voice. I heard a great voice out of heaven. You compare that to John 5, 28 and 29. Joel 2, 11. Joel 3, 16. 1 Thessalonians 4. But anyway, 
The tabernacle of God is with men. You see, this is the fulfillment, as I see it, of Ezekiel 37, which, notice, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will place them, multiply them, will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Notice, I will be their God and they shall be my people which Paul quotes verbatim. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, as it is written. You see that? As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And again, he quotes Ezekiel 37, 27, verbatim. Out of the Septuagint. And so again we see, when we drop down to verse 22, I saw no temple therein. Why? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And again, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Know you not that you are the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells within you. Essentially says the same thing in chapter 6. But here's what I want you to look at. This would be the fulfillment of John 14. Because John 14, and some futurists see this. They see that this is a second coming passage. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's the second coming. And receive you unto myself, 1 Thessalonians 4, that where I am, there you may be also. But now notice, as we go on down in the text, Jesus answered and said unto him, that's Jude, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our abode, the rendered mansion above, make our abode with Him. Now this is one of those only texts, the only one I know of, that speaks of the Father and the Son coming to somewhere. They, would, they the Father and the Son, would come to make their abode, that's the tabernacle. That's the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37. I'll place my tabernacle among them. I'll walk among them. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Watch this. We back up two verses. Jesus said the same thing. He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest... Notice this. I will manifest myself to him. Who? Those who love Him and keep His commandments. That will be His disciples, right? Judas, that's Jude, said unto Him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that You will manifest Yourself unto us and not unto the world? You catch that? How He's saying, how are You going to manifest Yourself to us and not to the world? And that's his answer. Jesus' answer is verse 23. 
We will come and make our abode with the one who loves them and keeps the commandments. So again, this demonstrates the misuse of Revelation 1-7. That every eye on the planet will see Him. And the verse that's left my mind that Steve always goes to, where John says, those that uh, have not seen Him are not His. But that goes back to that. If we are faithful and keep His commandments, then we are with Him. That goes back to the entire shebang, if you want to say, of fulfillment. We are living in the fulfillment of all things that were predicted with the coming of the kingdom. And I'm probably out of time. Um, but anyway, like I said, there's a ton more here that uh, we could study for two or three weeks uh, just and scratch the surface of these things. But uh, let me say again, read Isaiah 59 through 66. Study that in conjunction with Revelation 21. Go on into chapter 22. Um, but, but study that. But I want to thank the fellowship here again for their invitation and having me to come and speak for you to do my best at my level of understanding at this point in time. And as Holger said, you know, I may change. I have a reputation of changing. But what I don't have a reputation of is bowing down to bullies. And when a brother says, we're going to kick you out, you can't come back, too bad. I'm going to do what the Bible says because the Bible's right. Okay? And that's what I want you all to do. I want you to study God's Word because the Bible's right. If it would work, then Hymenaeus and Philetus was right. Saying, well, the resurrection's already, or at least it's in progress. And they see the corpses coming out of the dirt. That wasn't what he said. It, as John said, it was in process, it was in progress. They were awaiting the consummation, the fulfillment of all things. So again, Matthew 23, 25, excuse me, 35. Jesus told the Pharisees and the scribes and the Pharisees, the hypocrites, the brood of vipers, upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel. So there again, we have this covenantal judgmental language going all the way back to the beginning. See, Adam and Eve partook of the, the, the sinful fruit Cain partook of the sinful fruit and slew his righteous brother Abel. And the judgment from the beginning till now, Jesus is now, and up to AD 70, when all things will be fulfilled, that was going to come down on, his, on that generation. And so again, Hebrews, you have this inclusio from Hebrews 1 to Hebrews 12, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. It's the same word that's used in the verses prior. He's going to shake heaven and earth. He's going to be shaken yet once more. So they could receive a kingdom that could not be shaken. Contrast to the covenants. The first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Okay, we've already looked at 
Matthew 5, Matthew 24. Peter said the end of all things is at hand. Be sober. He didn't say now, you know, I don't know when, 2,000 years in the future, 10,000 No. He said the end of all things is at hand. The time for the judgment has come. Verse 17. God is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 5. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said that this world, the fashion of this world is passing away. Again, you've got to look at the language. And then John wrote, the world is passing away. Present tense. You've got to notice the language. Alright, so, Isaiah 65, 17 through 19 in particular, but again, in reading 59 through 66, you're going to notice a lot of connections because there's much uh, intermingling uh, citations made by the Apostle, Apostle Paul uh, particularly, that he will quote from these texts and apply them during his ministry. That's the case with the first two or three verses of chapter 65. Paul quotes that in Romans, I think it's chapter 10. But he quotes that and applies that to Israel of his day. But Isaiah foretold that at the time that Judah would be slain, he said, I will create new heavens and a new earth, and the former, that would be the former heavens and earth, shall not be remembered nor come into mind. And this will be the creation of the new Jerusalem. Verse 18. It would be the time when the voice of crying would be and weeping would be wiped away. Which is what we see in verse 4 of our text. And there was no more sea. And I, again, I am anxious to hear uh, what uh, Jeff has to say along this line. The way I understand this right now is when John says there was no more sea, that's because the sea gave up the dead in the previous chapter. The sea gave up the dead that were in it because Isaiah foretold the salvation of the Gentiles, right? In verses 3 and 4, the Gentiles will come to thy light, kings to the brightness of thy rising, lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Which, by the way, Isaiah says the same thing in chapter 66 that you see on the screen. We see when we continue reading Isaiah 60, verse 5, Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. So there is the foretelling, the prediction of the salvation of the Gentiles. So I, that's why I believe the sea gave up the dead that were in it. They were all judged. Again, when we continue reading in Isaiah 60, now this is interesting. And the sons of the strangers shall build up thy walls, their kings shall minister unto thee, for in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor have I, have I had mercy on thee. Therefore thy gates shall be opened continually, 
They shall not be shut day nor night that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles and their kings may be brought. And that is exactly what we see John saying right here in verse 25, 24. The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, the kings of the earth to bring their glory and honor into it. Isaiah saying, And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. You see why I say Isaiah 60 through 66 is Revelation 21? And then we have another connection here. The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet. Well, that's what John said of Jesus that John recorded right there in Revelation 3.9. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved you. Alright, so again, let's go on. Verse 2, John says, I saw the holy city... New Jerusalem coming down from God, and and that word down is there in that text. Coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Again, that was the turning point for me right there. Okay, so he says, I saw the New Jerusalem, and we've looked at Isaiah, all those passages there. Uh, But just uh, notice that in Isaiah 66, Let's look at verses 14. And you look at that text right there. This was going to be the day of the Lord coming in flaming fire. Alright, that's what the text says here. Verse 15, verse 16. The day of the Lord that would come in flaming fire. But in verse 15, he says, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with His chariots, like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire, which Paul quotes verbatim. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the day of the Lord, coming in flaming fire, we have descend out of heaven, flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel, who would be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord from glorious power. Again, Paul quotes in flaming fire here, he quotes that verbatim in the Septuagint from Isaiah 66. But he says they will be punished with everlasting destruction. Notice, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, which again he is quoting verbatim from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 10, 19, and 21. Same phrase that they would go into the cliffs of the rock and the tops of the ragged rocks for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of His majesty. Paul quotes that text verbatim in the same passage there in 2 Thessalonians 1. But Isaiah 2 would be the last days of Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah 2 verse 1. This would be a last days, day of the Lord judgment against Judah, Old Covenant Israel. And we have the coming of the kingdom, verse 2. We have the judgment of the nations, verse 4. 
And it's the day of the Lord reckoning, verse 12, and it would be the vindication of the martyrs. Chapter 4 and verse 4. And then it would be, uh, well, Revelation 6 9, we're familiar with that. The souls are under the altar. It would be the vindication of the, of the martyrs. And that's what we see in the previous chapter here. They were elevated to thrones. But it would be the time when the vineyard would be given over to the good vine growers. Chapter 5, 1 through 7. And then compare that with the parable in Matthew 21, 33 through 46. 